Jumelang Avusheni and hello hi Mzanzi. Nolu Tandongakani here and welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a No Holds Barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. I'm here to walk with you on your health journey as you seek the answers to those weird lumps and pussy bumps you are too scared to speak about in public. People with disabilities face many barriers to good health. This week, we are joined by Alan Downey, who unpacks those barriers faced by communities of people living with disability and possible solutions for improvement. Alan is the founder of Disability Info South Africa, an initiative he started in 2015 to provide a free disability information portal which not only gives access to information via their website, but also through their free contact center, offering advice and guidance to those in need. Alan became a C5 quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident in 1994. When we think of disabilities, we imagine somebody with a wheelchair or people with dwarfism and things like that. Can you just give us like just a broad definition of what a disability is or what it means to be disabled in South Africa? Disability depends on who you speak to. If we go by the UN Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities or We've got a white paper on the rights of persons with disabilities, which we try to, as an information service and an organization, we try to follow in with what the government says with regards to the definition. So you've got people that will say we're differently abled or we disabled. There's all sorts of people with impairments where they try to categorize us. And the white paper says that we need to be referred to as persons with disabilities, that we, we're a person first and we have a disability second. People don't view our disability. We've tried to see what the person can do and despite their disability. So we try to focus on that person. The UN Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities doesn't attempt to define a disability. Uh, they rather recognize disability as an evolving concept and that disability is imposed by society when a person with a physical, psychosocial, intellectual, neurological, or sensory impairment is denied access to full participation in all aspects of life when society fails to uphold the rights and specific needs of individuals with impairments. So basically, looking at if somebody's in a wheelchair or they're blind and they've got a service dog, for example, and you build a shopping center and you build steps and don't make it accessible, that person has an impairment. They're able to get around with their wheelchair, but now you've actually caused them to have a disability because now they can't actually access that shopping center because you've built steps and you haven't built a ramp that's accessible and so on. In the same way, you if you refused access to the guide dog, that person is perfectly capable of moving around because they've got that assistance of that guide dog. But now you've actually disabled them by refusing entry to the guide dog. And that's the view that they try to put across. So they're basically saying that persons with disabilities experience three main interrelated barriers, the social, including the costs and the lack of disability awareness, 
and communication difficulties. And then there's this psychological, which is that fear that of their own personal safety, and then the structural, which is the infrastructure and access to information, etc. If you spoke to the man in the street, they might not you know, see it as that. They might see it that they've got a disability because they, their say, mobility is affected and that affects their ability to move around. Or what we prefer to go by is, is what the white paper for the rights of persons with disabilities and also the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities say. You've already kind of delved into some of the barriers of that people with disabilities face in their day-to-day life. But what are some of the barriers that are commonly faced by people with disabilities when it comes to access to healthcare? Number one, it would be financial. Now, not everybody can afford a medical aid, and even with a medical aid, it still becomes expensive. You've got the co-payments, and you've got equipment, which is part of healthcare at the end of the day. A lot of equipment is imported. So besides the normal costs, you're now paying extra costs because of the the weakness in the RAND and the import duties and so on. So I would say financial is the number one aspect. Then, of course, you need transport to access healthcare and accessible transport for persons with disabilities, specifically persons with mobility impairments, can be up to over 10 times what a normal person would pay. If you pay 100 rand for an Uber, you, know, you can look at paying 1,000 rand to go and hire an accessible vehicle to take you to hospital or whatever it may be. I've experienced that myself. Public transport isn't always accessible. In most cases, it's not accessible to persons with mobility impairments. But if you're a person who's blind or other impairments or disabilities, you might need to family member to support you and go with you and that person might need to have to take time off work so it can also be a drain on the family to try and access health care and then of course you don't always find quality health care um, in a lot of the hospitals some hospitals don't know how to actually deal with persons with disabilities whether it's an intellectual disability or a physical disability you often have to wait in long queues and sometimes you get to see the doctor, you get to see a nurse, and they don't have your medication for you, or they don't have enough stock available. Or if you were sick when you went there, you might be even worse by the time you leave. Say, for example, somebody who has a pressure sore, sitting the whole day waiting to see a doctor, they could end up with a worse pressure sore by the time they leave the hospital, the doctor's room. And then, unfortunately, some doctors are even inaccessible themselves. So if you go to a private doctor, sometimes the doctor's rooms will have steps. We've had complaints where they went to a doctor. The woman was 90 years old and she had to climb up a flight of steps to go and see the doctor. And then when you do go and see somebody, you might suffer abuse or neglect or discrimination, lack of education by the staff, and even misdiagnosis. Some people will go and get there with intellectual disabilities, will go and get medication and the medication's wrong. We've had situations where medication was allocated and years later you find that the medication actually affects you negatively, you know, it starts affecting other organs in your body. The symptoms can end up being worse than what you're actually taking the medication for in the first place. So there's a number of barriers that I've just touched on, but there's more as well, depending on your type of disability. Some people, for example, might have an intellectual impairment, whether it's depression or something like that, and they might not 
be recognized as having an impairment. So some people contacted us that said that their family and their doctors don't believe they've got a disability. And this is what they're batting with. And the doctor thinks it's all in their head. So there's a lot of difficulties that people have to face. Uh, for people who have a physical disability where you can see it and you're in a wheelchair, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier because you don't have to try and explain your disability to people. People can see that you're in a wheelchair, you can't move your legs, but some people have hidden disabilities. So they've got a situation where they actually have to explain their disability to people and try and convince them that they actually have a disability to start with. As someone who lives with a disability, what has your experience been like in terms of accessing healthcare then as well? When I was first injured, as I mentioned previously, I was doing my apprenticeship in panel beating. And basically, after I was injured, they actually took me off the medical aid because I was no longer doing my apprenticeship. So I lost my medical aid and I had to go to government hospitals. As I mentioned previously, it was a matter of having to go to the hospital to go and get your monthly medication and to sit and wait the whole day and basically eventually go and see the doctor or get your medication and say they've run out of certain tablets that you require or run out of urine bags or whatever it may be. And it's a situation where, you know, you've been there the whole day, you've had to hire somebody to take you there. A family member might have taken time off work and then you, you get there and you, you get half the medication that you were meant to get, which happened to me a number of occasions. And then if you do get sick, you end up in hospital. And a lot of people will say that the government hospitals are doing a great job, but they are understaffed. And even private hospitals, they don't always know how to deal with a quadriplegic or somebody. They don't realize we have to get turned so many times that we have to drink water regularly so that we don't end up with blood infections. I had a situation where I ended up catching pneumonia because I was coughing and they closed the door. I couldn't ring the bell. So I ended up coughing and basically couldn't call somebody for half an hour and ended up in ICU for about two weeks because they didn't realize my disability that I couldn't ring a bell to get attention and they closed the door so I couldn't call anybody. There's obviously a lot of different experiences where people with other impairments have dealt with situations. But, you know, those are just a few situations that I had. That was a private hospital that happened in. Years after I got injured, I managed to get onto a medical aid. It was lucky that I did because I ended up spending over 100 days in hospital on one occasion with a pressure sore. And often you go into hospital with one thing and you end up coming out with a couple other problems as well. So there needs to be an education and it is improving. The staff is becoming more aware of what quadriplegics require and paraplegics and that there's a difference between somebody who comes in that is able to turn themselves or is able to get out of bed and go and get assistance and the person that isn't, that requires somebody to come and feed them, somebody to come give them water every 20 minutes or so on. So, you know, obviously, as I said, it's a problem with understaffing and obviously also education of the staff. They don't always get trained to be able to work with quadriplegics. And then you have other patients with other disabilities like dementia and so on, where they come out of an operation and they're actually worse than they were when they went in because of the medication that they've been put on. So there's a number of problems that can happen 
when going into hospital and you have an impairment or disability. How has your organization sort of helped to address these issues as well? Is it an issue that you take up with government or like private practices or things like that or something like that? No. Nobody can do it on their own. We need to all work together. So it's a matter of working with other organizations, working with government, working with individuals and trying to address some of these, these problems. I remember when I went into hospital and I had an issue and I basically explained, I found a way that the nurses could assist me in a certain way and I explained it to them and I was actually pleasantly surprised last year when I had to go back into hospital that actually it was with regards to turning, they used the bed in a certain way that they were able to tilt the legs of the bed up so that they could turn me easier. So when I taught them years ago, a couple of nurses that were assisting me, they were now using that when they turned patients that were quadriplegics. So it was a matter of the nurses had passed on that information to other nurses. It's a matter of if you go into hospital and you have an issue, the staff isn't maybe taking care of you the way they should be, or you've got an access problem, you basically, you need to talk up and you need to maybe send us an email and we can to be an open dialogue where you can speak to the hospital or speak to the staff or and actually be able to educate them because if you don't talk up they don't know that there's a problem obviously you might have a situation where they're, they're not interested you're not able to change people's perceptions but the thing is if you don't try you'll never know we try to work with various companies and organizations we're a very small organization, but we link up with very big organizations. So the companies and organizations that advertise with us, it's not only just about supplying assistance from a financial point of view, they become an essential cog in the Daza wheel. They share their, their information and their knowledge to those that need. So we're all about linking up with organizations and companies that supply essential services and able to assist us when there are issues that we speak to the right people and we get the message across. Thank you, Alan. What is the difference between the medical model and the social model of disability? I think when we think of disabilities or persons living with disabilities, we think of it more in terms of a, a department of social development issue and not so much a health one. Can you just explain the mm. difference between the social model of disability says that disability is caused by the way society is organized. So we touched on that briefly earlier. The social model says that the remedy is, to, is a change in the interaction between the individual and society. So in other words, you need to change the way people interact with you by accepting your impairment, accepting you as a person, and not seeing your disability, not seeing your wheelchair or whatever your disability is. And the environment as well, as we said, change in the environment to make sure that pe people aren't isolated, people are able to attend school together and people are able to attend work together. The medical model of disability says people are disabled by the impairments or their differences and the medical model tries to remedy disability through a medical cure or by trying to make the person appear less disabled or more normal, as they would say. You know, there's a big focus when people, let's talk about somebody who's broken their neck, for example, and there's a big focus on that person being able to walk again. Although there's a small percentage of people that 
are able to walk. They're still working on a cure and so on. But there's a big focus when you're first injured specifically. And for many people, this drags on is I'm going to walk my daughter down the aisle. I'm going to walk down the aisle when I get married or whatever it may be. So there's that focus on cure, focus on being able to get back to normal again. And whereas what some impairments or disabilities, people will say, well, actually what I've got is fine. It's normal. Yes, I'm different to somebody else, but I can still function in society. I can still get on with my life. I can still get a job. I can still go to school. I can still have a family, whatever it may be. They focus on what they can do and that they need to get back to normal before they can carry on with their life. So obviously everybody deals with the situation in a different way. Some people deal with finding a cure, finding a cure for quadriplegia and paraplegia, finding a cure for blindness, finding a cure for somebody who's deaf. But other people focus on being able to take what you've got and still being able to to work with what you've got and take part in society. That's what we've got to focus on. We mustn't focus on the fact that this person's different and they can't take part in society because of the difference. We've got to focus on how do we, as society, make it accessible for them to be equal parts of society. Can you tell us, Ellen, you know, what is ableism? It's quite a broad area because when you look up ableism, it basically says it's discrimination in favor of non-disabled people. So based on the assumption that your physical or cognitive or sensory differences with which the person with disabilities live is a deficit and it's rooted in the medical model of disability and assumes that that person needs to be fixed. And we touched on that earlier. Whereas what you should be doing is you should be recognizing that person for what they can do, that they can be part of society. So for example, years ago, maybe your great grandparents will talk about people who were left-handed, for example, and they were forced to write right-handed. So basically they saw that, no, no, being left-handed isn't normal. You need to be right-handed. You need to write right-handed. Though that's not a disability, but you take that difference with somebody that one person writes left-handed, the other person writes right-handed. Now there's a difference between them, but you don't need to focus on that difference. You person needs to go with what they can do, how they can do it and go forward. And you can take that approach with disability. So by not judging people on their disability and saying, not saying, okay, that person He's blind. They can't. How are we going to employ them as a salesperson? He's blind. He can't see the computer. How's he going to work the computer? And just presuming that that person won't be able to function. That to me is ableism as well, where the person might, thanks to assistive devices, they might be able to work perfectly well on a computer and probably even better than somebody who doesn't have a disability because there's different programs that they're able to use where they can type faster and the screen reads to them and so on. So judging a person on their disability isn't only detrimental to the person with a disability, but can also affect your company because you could have somebody working for you that's a brilliant salesperson, but you've now judged them on their disability rather than judged them on what they're capable of doing. So obviously there's a wide range of examples of ableism including a lack of compliance to the disability rights laws, segregation of students into separate schools, restraint or seclusion, 
controlling students, trying to control students with disabilities, segregation of adults and children into institutions, failing to incorporate the accessibility into buildings, whether it be tactile paving or ramps or whatever it may be, Braille. And as I said, that assumption that people with disabilities need to be fixed and then enough people will mock people with disabilities. And there's a wide variety of other examples of ableism that we can also bring in, including previously in the past when persons with disabilities were that whole view that they needed to be gotten rid of and so on. So it covers a wide area. And basically, it all goes down to discrimination at the end of the day. And unfortunately, there seems to be a bit of a blockage when it comes to persons with disabilities where they seem to think that preventing them access to some place through whether it's your building, whether it's inaccessible public transport, whether it's your school that doesn't want to put up a ramp or your put up bathroom that's accessible, whatever it may be, it all amounts to discrimination at the end of the day. And I think as soon as we start viewing that discrimination as the same as every other discrimination and act accordingly, I think the better South Africa and the world will become. Because at the end of the day, disability can happen to anyone at any time. More and more people are having impairments due to people living longer. And actually, at the end of the day, most people will end up with some form of impairment in their lifetime, whether it's temporary or permanent. You know, you don't know from one day from the next whether you could end up breaking your leg or you could end up having to have an operation in a wheelchair for a month or two. And it's not until that happens to you that you realize, wow, Having to ask somebody to go to the shop for you because you can't access the shop on your own is basically disabledism at the end of the day or discrimination. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Ellen. If you'd like to read up more about our conversation with Ellen on access to healthcare and living with disability in Mzanzi, visit healthformzanzi.co.za. And dear friends, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Alternatively, you can hit us up on our new WhatsApp line on 063-633-0628. That's 063-633-0628. I would never blue tick you, babes. Health disparities exist for people living with disabilities in Mzanzi. This could be due to inaccessible healthcare facilities and equipment, lack of knowledge among health professionals about specific differences among people with disabilities, transportation difficulties, and higher poverty rates among people living with disabilities. Alan did not mince his words when he said, Accessibility is founded on both communication and physical access. That brings us to the end of episode 68 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani, have a great week and remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.